13th century Italian preacher Francis of Assisi said, All the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single candle. That statement should be deeply meaningful to you if you're a Christian. Because in Matthew 5.14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. Of course, if the world was a bright place already, well then, you being the light of the world probably wouldn't mean nearly as much, but all throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, this world is described as a place shrouded in darkness. Yet if you've ever been in complete darkness, you know that it only takes one source of light to illuminate an entire room, to bring everything around you into view. In fact, it's unmistakable, right? When, when light is introduced into darkness, no one is standing around wondering why they can now see when they couldn't before, right? Because everyone knows why, because the light is unmistakable. And you understand, if the light of Christ is in you and you allow that light to shine, it will in fact be unmistakable to everyone around you, especially to those, listen, especially to those who are used to living in darkness, which we're going to see today as we continue to work our way through 1 Samuel, where David, this man who was chosen, anointed, equipped, and confirmed by God to lead God's people, he's residing among the Philistines, lost people who are living in utter darkness, and the contrast was unmistakable because David was a bright light in a very dark place. Okay? Your life is meant to be a bright light in a very dark place. And you understand both halves of that statement are equally true. Your life is meant to be a bright light, yes, but that's not all it's meant to be. Because the second half of that statement is just as true. Your life is meant to be a bright light shining in a very dark place. In other words, your life is meant to go into dark places to shine the light of Christ. Otherwise, if all the light in this world ever does is gather with more light, well then the light places stay light and the dark places stay dark and nothing changes. It's exactly... In fact, what we see happening in much of our society today, and it's one of the great fallacies of the Western church uh, in the modern era, the idea that we form these Christian communities insulated from the rest of the world so we never have to be exposed to darkness in the world. But that's not God's intention for us. No, we're supposed to not only be exposed to spiritually dark places, but we're supposed to intentionally go there and shine the light of Christ into those dark places to lost people who are groping around in the darkness. But so often we don't because we've been conditioned to fear the darkness around us more than we revere the light within us. That's what's so compelling about this story because David was able to be in the world but not of it. He was able to go into some of the most spiritually dark places on the earth at the time and still live a life that was set apart for God as he allowed the light of God 
to shine brightly to the lost people around him. And, and look, the effect that it had was unmistakable, as we'll see. Not only for him, but for the lost people around him as well. So let's pick the story back up where we left off last time at 1 Samuel chapter 29. We'll begin by reading the first five verses. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel, as the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who's been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I've found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you've assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? That's a, a thinly veiled reference to David's interaction with Goliath, which was very well known, of course, among the Philistines. Right? So how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul is struck down as thousands, and David is ten thousands. So uh, just to set the stage here for a little backstory, this chapter is actually a flashback to the beginning of chapter 28, the chapter before this one. So the events of this chapter actually occur after verse 2 of chapter 28, but before verse 4. If you remember, the Philistines uh, were beginning to gather their forces for war against Israel. And Achish says to David back in chapter 28, verse 1, he says, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. And then a conversation between them follows. And verse 4 says, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, while the Israelites were encamped at Mount Gilboa. That's all back in the beginning of 28. But here in chapter 29, verse 1, the Philistines are gathered at Aphek, which is on the way to the valley of Jezreel, but still about 40 miles short of Shunem, where again the Philistines were back in chapter 28, while the Israelite forces are still in Jezreel on their way to Mount Gilboa in verse 4 of chapter 28. So, so this story here in chapter 29 is after the conversation between Achish and David, but before the Philistines gathered at Shunem. This is where the Philistine armies are just beginning to come together for their march towards Shunem. And so while the Lord of the Philistines, the lords of the Philistines, the five rulers of the city-states of the Philistines, they're taking stock of their armies by hundreds and by thousands. And Achish, the Philistine king, is bringing up the rear with David and his 600 Hebrew fighters. Because again, in the beginning of chapter 8, Achish says to David, come on, we're going into battle and you're going with me. And yet even though there were thousands of troops amassing for war, and even though David and his men were only 600, and even though these Hebrews were at the rear, right, behind thousands and thousands of other soldiers, the Philistine lords immediately recognized David and his men and asked their king, what are these Hebrews doing here? Now, if you were here all the way back in chapter 14, long before David ever fled from Saul, 
there were Hebrew soldiers who had defected earlier to the Philistines and had become a part of the Philistine army. And yet when the battle began to turn in favor of Jonathan and the Israelites, those Hebrew soldiers who were wearing Philistine markings and armed with Philistine weapons, by the way, they turned against the Philistines in battle and the result was disaster for the Philistines. The point being, even though David and his men may well have been wearing Philistine markings and carrying Philistine weapons, traveling with the Philistine king in the back of the entire Philistine army, they were instantly recognizable. Because no matter how seemingly integrated into the Philistine society and military they may have been for several years at this point, David and his army of Hebrew fighters were unmistakably different. Listen, not because of what they carried with them on the outside, but because of what they carried with them on the inside. The light of God. And it was unmistakable. Even if the Philistines didn't understand it, they certainly recognized that there was something unmistakably different about David and his men. Now listen, when lost people today encounter found people today the difference is supposed to be unmistakable why because we belong to christ which means we carry the light of christ inside of us psalm 100 verse 3 says know that the lord he is god it is he who made us it is he who made us we're his we're his people we're the sheep of his pasture you know what that means it means if you're a Christian, then you belong to God. The Apostle Paul said it this way. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? It is he who made us. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Of course, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard those verses a thousand times. But I honestly don't think most of us spend nearly enough time actually considering the implications of those verses in our own lives. You are not your own. You have been bought and paid for. Your life is not yours to do with what you please. Because you're now a part of something bigger than just you. And so for those of us who profess to be Christians, is it enough to simply profess that? Or even to be personally convinced of that? Or should there also be tangible evidence of that in our lives, that we are in fact disciples of Christ? And if so, what does that look like? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What does a true Christian look like, right? How are Christians supposed to act? How do you describe a follower of Jesus? And obviously the Bible has a lot to say about all of that, and there are probably many different answers that could be given to those questions. But listen, there's one answer that applies to every single one of those questions, and that answer is the word different. Right? If you read the Bible, it's hard to deny that the disciples of Jesus Christ are supposed to be different from everyone else. Peter said, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal 
of your mind. Romans 12, 2. In other words, be different than the rest of the world. The writer of Hebrews said, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10, 10. Of course, Jesus himself, referring to his disciples, to you, to me, he said, they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. John 17, 16. Okay, according to the Bible, we should look and act unmistakably different than everyone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. If we've actually been renewed, sanctified, transformed, set apart, then unmistakably there is a difference between Christians and the rest of the world. It's the difference between darkness and light. And because of that transformation from darkness to light, Paul says now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. So all of these decidedly different people all put together form the body of Christ, something unmistakably different from anything else on the face of the earth. So look, whether people like us or hate us, right? whether they agree with us or think we're dead wrong, one thing that everyone should be able to agree on is the fact that Christians are different. That we live differently than those who don't believe as we do. That we treat one another differently than those who don't follow Christ. That we behave differently than people who don't share our faith. Why? Because there's a light within us. The light of Christ that shines in the darkest places on earth, illuminating the truth wherever we go, whether people choose to accept it or not. The Philistines recognized it in David. Most of them wanted nothing to do with it, while the king of the Philistines was powerfully drawn to it, as we'll see in the next part of the story. So listen, uh, you understand how people react to the light of Christ within you is actually not your problem. It's not. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. What is your problem? is when lost people encounter you and they are indifferent because you are not different. Okay, if there's no reaction at all, because there's no clear difference between you and anyone else who is without Christ in their life, if the darkness remains comfortably dark when you're around it, then something is decidedly wrong because darkness cannot withstand the light. The Apostle John said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 4, and 5, you understand, darkness has no defense against the light. In fact, it is the light that drives out the darkness, not the other way around. So look, if the darkness is unaffected by your presence then your light isn't shining. That's why Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Matthew 5, 14 and 16. Obviously, you can have the light of Christ within you, and at the same time, you can refuse to let that light shine into dark places in this world. 
Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have bothered to say, let your light shine before others. That's why the Apostle Paul said at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, 8, because you can have the light of Christ within you. You can keep it to yourself. The darkness is unaffected. You understand, we're not talking about, uh, you know, screaming Bible verses at people on the street corner as they walk by or berating people on social media who don't agree with you or pretending to be morally superior to other people because of your faith. Okay, being obnoxious about what you believe is not the same thing as letting the light of Christ shine through you. In fact, not too long ago, uh, Mary Beth and I and Pastor Jason and Amanda were in downtown Greenville. And there was a young man pacing back and forth out on the street, and he was absolutely screaming hellfire and brimstone at everyone who walked by. And I'm sure he was sincere and meant well. But listen, at one point, another young man walked up to him, and we watched this happen. And very sincerely, very respectfully, the young man asked the street preacher, he said, hey, excuse me, I want to ask you about something you're preaching about because I have questions about the Bible that I don't understand. To which the preacher yelled back at him, not now, I'm preaching. And so he turned around and walked away. Listen, you don't have to be loud to be light. I realize that's the pot calling the kettle black, but I get excited about the Bible. You don't have to be loud to be light. You simply have to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, to direct your daily life. I'm literally talking about, uh, okay, uh, this isn't metaphor. Literally asking him throughout your day, even in the most mundane things, asking the Holy Spirit, how should I act? What should I say? What should I not say? Right? Where should, where should I go and to whom should I go to? What do you want me to do today? But listen. If you start living like that, don't be surprised when he sends you to some pretty dark places where there are lost people groping around in the dark, desperately searching for the light that is inside of you. A light that is unmistakably different than anything else they've ever known, and yet at the same time, it's everything they've ever needed. The great 19th century evangelist Dwight L. Moody said, We're told to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. Let's finish the story for today. Verse 6 to the end of the chapter. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you've been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I've found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Now keep in mind, uh, David means that, but he's probably referring to Achish and the Philistines who he probably planned on turning on. So he's disappointed. He's not going to get to go into the battle. And Achish answered David and said, I know that you're as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. 
Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Uh, the similarities, by the way, between the two kings here in David's life, King Saul and King Achish, uh, abound throughout the story. Both kings made David their personal bodyguard. Both were uh, tremendously impressed with David, especially with his military fighting capabilities, and yet for different reasons, both ended up removing David from the military ranks of their armies. Both were responsible for David making his home in southern Judah, and both badly misjudged David. Saul considered David his mortal enemy, yet he was in fact his most loyal subject, while Achish considered David his most trusted subject, yet he was in fact his most dangerous enemy. Yet as much as these two kings had in common, there was one glaring difference when it came to their relationships with David, more specifically with David's God. Because while Saul firmly rejected the God of Israel, Achish may very well have accepted him. We don't really have enough evidence here to draw a firm conclusion, but it is at the very least compelling that when Achish says to David, as the Lord lives, you've been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. That name Lord that Achish refers to there is the name Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the covenant name of the God of Israel. Achish, he actually swears an oath to David in the name of Yahweh. Something you would generally never do unless you were a follower of Yahweh. Of course, if you read back through the story up to this point, David has spent a lot of time over many years in the presence of Achish, which means Achish has spent a lot of time over the years in the presence of the Lord within David as that light of God shined through him. Who we know, David was a man after God's own heart. And so whether or not Achish actually became a true follower of Yahweh, there's no, uh, we don't know. But one thing we know for certain is that being in his presence through David for all of that time, it had a profound and lasting effect. As he says to David, verse 6, As the Lord lives, you've been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you. From the day of your coming to me to this day, this is David he's talking to, who has killed throngs of Philistines. We just saw how Achish talked to the lords of the Philistines, defending David and saying, he's blameless in my sight. Verse 9, he says, I know that you're as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Verse 10, now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. And I was looking at the, uh, the Septuagint, the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, where verse 10 is longer there than it is in the Hebrew text here. It adds to this verse, and go to the place I assigned to you. This is Achish talking to David. And go to the place I assigned to you. Let there be no rancor in your heart, for to me you are blameless. In the Hebrew... When Achish says that David is blameless, it's the word tob. It's literally translated as good. In other words, no matter how many Philistines had been killed by David in the past, and no matter how many Philistines hated David in the present, when Achish looked at David, all that he saw was someone unmistakably good. 
It's incredible. It's, it's remarkable, really, when you consider the havoc and destruction that David had brought to bear on the Philistines before being driven out of Israel by Saul. Because even though David was far from perfect, the light within him drove out the darkness around him while he was living in a foreign land around a foreign king in a very dark place, which is exactly how it's supposed to be with you and me. Because we've been set apart by God. As David says in Psalm 4.3, he writes, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And for what purpose? We just read it earlier. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you're a Christian, you've been set apart. You've been made holy. You've been made good, unmistakably good by God. You know why? To shine that light of Christ that goodness of God into a world that is ultimately not your home. That's what we've been set apart for. It's being chosen for a life of holiness, of goodness, shining that light in dark places, just like David with the Philistines. In fact, just like Daniel in Babylon, just like Esther in Susa, just like Joseph in Egypt, and on and on and on, right? We have many examples in Scripture of people living in foreign lands, in dark places, and although they weren't perfect, they were considered blameless, unmistakably good people in the eyes of the lost people, that we're living, uh, that they were living among. Okay, this world is not your home. This world is not your home, and it's full of lost people whose lives are shrouded in darkness. People who are desperate for something unmistakably good in their lives. People who need the light of Christ that is in you to drive out the darkness in them. It's what you've been chosen for. Just to be clear, that goodness, by the way, that holiness is not achieved in your life uh, by avoiding certain things or by living a certain way according to a certain set of religious rules apart from Christ. In fact, there's absolutely nothing that you can do in your life to make yourself good or holy. The most religious people in the history of the world have proven that beyond a shadow of a doubt. You can follow every law, every rule, and live the most religiously disciplined and morally pure life and still not be good or holy. Okay, then. And how can ever anyone ever be holy, right? Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. We've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The word sanctified there in the ancient Greek is hagiadso. It literally means to be holy. So sanctification is holiness, goodness. Keep that in mind. Let's read it again. We have been sanctified. We've been made good. We've been made holy. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That is precisely what religion and religious behavior without Jesus Christ can do for you. Absolutely nothing. 
But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those who are being made holy, being made good. You understand that's you. That's you and me. Believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we're made good. We're made holy only by the offering of blood, the blood of Jesus Christ that he willingly gave for us. It doesn't mean we are yet sinless. It means that Jesus Christ has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He has fully earned our holiness, our goodness, our sinlessness by his sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify, to make holy, the people through his own blood. So the calling to live a holy life, a good life, is not the means by which we're made holy. It is rather our response to the God who has already made us holy. God set David apart. David didn't set himself apart. But David was still required by God to live a life of goodness, of holiness, in response to being set apart by God. It's the same thing for us. Our holiness, our goodness is what Christ offers to us. Our holy living is what we offer back to him in response to what he's already done for us. But here's what all of that boils down to. This world is shrouded in an unholy darkness. And we can stand in the midst of all that darkness and shout back and forth at each other about what we believe, about who's right and who's wrong all day long. But until we actually introduce light into that darkness, nothing is going to change. And that's our problem right now. There are too many Christians who think being right is the same as being good. It's not the same. Listen, accurate information, being correct about what you believe, even quoting scripture, that isn't the light inside of you. Anybody can quote scripture. Satan quoted scripture to Jesus. Listen, the light inside of you is the spirit of the living God inside of you. And the reason it's unmistakable is because the Holy Spirit is the one thing you cannot have without an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? A lost person can know the Bible inside and out. A lost person can be deeply committed to living a morally pure life. A lost person can be correct in their thinking about whatever's wrong with this world and they can still be living in total darkness. Why? Because the one thing a lost person cannot have is the Holy Spirit inside of them. That's the light they're missing. That's the light they need to see in us because it's the only light that will ever drive out the darkness in their souls. That's why it's unmistakable. Because there's nothing else that can illuminate people's hearts and minds to Christ. Being right won't do it. Quoting scripture won't do it. And being the loudest one in the room won't do it. 
Only the Holy Spirit in you can introduce the light of Christ into the darkest parts of people's lives. That is his unmistakable goodness in you that you must learn to share with others. Charles Spurgeon once said, the Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. Hey, there, there was an unmistakable goodness in Jesus, whether he was talking or not. A light that shined through everything he did. It was in the dignity that he gave to people. It was in the grace that he extended. It was in the kindness and patience and provision and care and love that accompanied his words. But you understand it was more than just good behavior. It was the Holy Spirit in him that brought illumination to the truth that came out of him. So when people encountered Jesus, there was always an effect from that encounter. Always. There was something unmistakable that would happen because there was a light in him that the darkness could not overcome. And as a result, people either welcomed that light or they resisted it. In fact, the only thing that people never became around Jesus was indifferent. It was the same with his disciples later, as Jesus said it would be for them, and by the way, for us as well. So look, when lost people encounter you, is there an unmistakable effect from that encounter? Do people react? Are they changed because of the light inside of you? Or has that light become so dim so indiscernible that nothing really changes at all. Because look, if the light of Christ, if that light is going to shine in this world, then it's going to shine through you. Right? Because according to Jesus, you are the light of the world. And make no mistake about it, when you allow that light to shine in your life, it will be unlike anything else in this world. It will be different. It will be good. It will be unmistakable. Let's pray.